Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This episode is sponsored by the Texas Outdoor Musical, back this summer in Paladura Canyon State Park. Nothing says summer in Amarillo like this long-running musical about the first settlers of the Texas Panhandle, set against the backdrop of the Pioneer Amphitheater. It's always so much fun. I can't wait to go this summer. The, this family-friendly show runs every day of the summer, except for Mondays, until the middle of August. And June 18th, this week, is Veterans and First Responders Night. So all police, firefighters, EMTs, medical workers, government officials, and veterans get 20% off their general admission tickets. When you buy your tickets, use the code FIRSTRESP21. That's F-I-R-S-T-R-E-S-P-21 at checkout when you go to texasshow.com. That's texas-show.com. Another thing that's back this summer is the Hey Amarillo Beer Fest on Saturday, July 31st at Starlight Ranch Event Center. Put it on your calendar and watch for ticket info soon. And as part of this podcast partnership with Brick and Elm Magazine, I also want to give a podcast shout out to Sabra Kofer Realtor and the Living Texas Style Real Estate Group. Learn more at livingtexasstyle.com and sabracofer.com. Well, last week was our 200th episode. I hope you listened to that one. It was a lot of fun. But this week, we're just rolling forward with another guest. Today, it's Doug Lill. You may have seen Doug on TV before as Pharmacist Doug. He's a longtime pharmacist at Drug Emporium. But in addition to prescribed medication, he's an expert on vitamins and supplements. He's a clinical nutritionist. Uh, And there's a whole lot more. So Doug has a really interesting story, which involved him sort of finding himself after he left Amarillo for a life and career of travel, only to return here and stay here as an adult. So here's Doug Lill. Doug Lill, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. It's good to be here. Thank you. Well, it's it's good to have you. I'm uh, I'm honored that uh, you had some time to do this, and I appreciate that. We've known each other at least very casually for a couple of years, but I want to ask you the same question I ask all of my guests on the podcast, and that's, why are you here? How did you end up in the Amarillo area in the first place? Sure. I am originally from here. I was born and raised here, and so that's why I was here. And then pretty much I wanted to leave mm-hmm. and go, you know, explore the world, and I did that. Um my career allowed me to do that. I am a pharmacist. And back in the day, because I'm a little older of a pharmacist, not ancient, I was an expert in being a relief pharmacist, yeah. kind of like a substitute teacher, right? and uh, never really worked full time. And so I was able to travel and blow in and out of town as a work vacation. And so I was able to see the world and live in a bunch of different spots. Okay, But the last spot we were uh, was in Washington, D.C., and my mom got ill. She uh, had dementia and lung cancer. And I, my spouse and I were having a conversation in our home. And he looked at me and he said, Doug, we have to move. And I pointed my finger at him and said, I will never move there. Mm. And so we came back and uh, it was, and that was in 2011. Okay. And uh, we came back and I had in the back of my mind of leaving, and but we didn't. And we were able to 
go with my mom after several years to transition, you know, for her time here. And it was a really wonderful, wonderful time and a blessing. Um, so that's what brought us back to be permanent people here. Okay. So I, I want to unpack several things, uh, in that brief 90 seconds that you just shared. Um, number one, I, I should probably tell you, I'm familiar with the world of pharmacy because my father-in-law was a pharmacist, mm-hmm. uh, owned village pharmacy for a long time. And I even delivered there uh, for several years in high school. So my concept of relief pharmacists at that time, it was typically older pharmacists who had retired and would come in, you know, when he was going to be on vacation mm-hmm. or something like that to always have a pharmacist in the shop. Mm-hmm. But you said that, like, did, did you go into pharmacy thinking a relief pharmacist is my thing? I'm just going to travel all around and pop in and out of places? Like, was that your goal yes. as you as you got into it? Yes. I wanted to use pharmacy as a stepping stone because <laughs> I never wanted to do that full time. Okay. And I all it fit into my character because mm-hmm. I, you know— when I was in a place too long, I kind of felt like a caged animal. Yeah. And so it was really not, and I'm flexible. Like I understand that each pharmacy, it's its own little world and it didn't have to be super rigid. You, you do what they do. Hmm. And so, and maybe I was really successful at that and it was a niche and, you know, I did that in Minnesota and in Austin. Um, you know, I did that East Coast and and they're in high demand. I mean, that like there's a lot of value, or at least there was. They in that were, sort of role. yeah. Pharmacy is completely different today. Yeah, completely different. And it's funny, Dick. Never, I would visit Dick. He never used me. I might have been too young. He wanted well, that old, probably so. <laughs> no, but um, yeah, it's an interesting. It was a hard transition to go to full time. But you, you never thought either. I'm going to open up an independent pharmacy or I'm going to work for these one, one of these big chains like Walgreens or something like that was never really something you, no. you wanted to do. No, no, no. I'm, I'm not, I, I wish I were, but I'm not a businessman. Mm-hmm. And so, and I don't like being the boss. I don't like managing people. Just, I, I don't, it's not my gifting. Yeah. Some, some people have mm-hmm. that personality and some don't. Mm-hmm. I don't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I recognize that. Um, tell me, about growing up in Amarillo, like, and, and that desire to get out and travel, feeling caged, you know, in one place. Was that something you felt, you know, as a, as a teenager, as a, a young person? I, I did. I didn't feel like I fit in, you know, not, not, I, I wasn't aware at that time that, that I was gay. So mm-hmm. I'll put that out there. I just knew I was a little bit different and I just didn't fit in. And I, I'm not such an odd duck. I'm pretty normal, but I just, you know, wasn't super into you know, football and the sports. I didn't hate it or anything. I am more of an individual sport person. Um, and I, I just was always really interested in travel and what's outside there. And, um, so like when I went to pharmacy school at that time, everybody from here went to the school in Oklahoma called Weatherford. Okay. And I wanted to go somewhere different. And so I went to university of Houston Yeah. and that's kind of people look at you funny when you're from here and you do that, you know? It's about as far as you can go and still be in Texas. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, growing up was um, was a great childhood. I grew up in a, you know, I I don't know if this renders me ineligible to be on the podcast now, but (laughs) I was born here and, you know, went to like elementary school at South Georgia. But soon we moved out of the city and I went to high school in Canyon. Oh, what? You know what? You live here now, and yeah. I talk to guests who just live in Canyon, so it's okay. Okay. I, I, I won't draw any lines yeah. here. Um, 
So it was, uh, it was a great, great upbringing and childhood, great family. Um, but yeah, I felt a little, little uncomfortable, I have to say. Yeah. I, I'd like to ask about it just because I don't always have this opportunity um, with guests, but you mentioned that you felt like you weren't like everybody else, but you didn't quite know you were gay yet. Mm -hmm. And I wonder like, for people who haven't gone through that scenario, like what does that, how, how do you come to that realization? Like, yeah. you know, as a, as a child, figuring out your sexuality is weird anyway. It's, yeah. it's difficult anyway. Uh, and then being at that, that phase, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15, and trying to figure out why do I not feel like all the other people? Mm -hmm. Can you talk me through that? I can. At a really, really young age, I knew I was attracted to the same sex in a different way. Um, and so, you know, when you're five and six there, you don't eroticize that. Um, but there is some, something there that you're not aware of. I was also, I, I today am, a, I choose to be a Christian, but I was also raised in a Southern Baptist church. And so there were a lot of things pounded in my head that I had to unlearn, mm -hmm. you know, um, racism. Uh, so I got I me mean, bigotry in general, I guess. But that was also one thing that I was taught that I would mm -hmm. basically go to hell for that. And so early on, I had created a, a, a knowing in deep, deep, deep inside me that you don't, I don't, I didn't want to go to hell. I didn't want to be separated from my sure. family. And, <laughs> and so it creates a very strained, um, in, inner, inter, inter, how do you, I mean, in your psyche and, so you create a whole different world. Hmm. And it, I mean, and I don't have split personalities, but it was a different world inside of me that you wouldn't ever breathe outside to yeah, anybody. So like, like you either have to ignore the way you feel or try to change the way you feel. I mean, is, is that what you were doing? You're like, you were like, well, I, I got to pray this away or? Exactly. That's the exact words. And so I was involved in an organization later, not, you know, because I could, I never told my parents or anybody in my family, but as a young adult, I, w I was involved in this organization. It's not existing anymore called Exodus International. I'm aware of it. And uh, I don't know, you, yeah, anyway, you follow a person I follow that he's aware of that. Yeah. And, and, and I've, I've got a long history, um, in the evangelical church world, grew up in the same Southern Baptist yeah. environment as you, and fully aware of the controversies related to Exodus <laughs> International, yeah. uh, which was a conversion therapy organization. Yeah, yeah. and it, it my experience um, was I, I was not traumatized. Um, I didn't have a lot of confidence to make some of my own decisions, and that's my fault, but I and I did have to go, anyway, yeah, so Exodus International trying to pray the gay away, mm -hmm. it didn't work. As a young adult, like after you had kind of left here, you were, that's when you were involved in it? Yeah, and it's a little bit more sorted. I, I did get married to a woman, and we did not have children, and we are still friends, and so that was <laughs> sort of a, you know, traumatizing yeah. situation. And, you know, and you, you know, you hate to say this, but I did struggle I think because of that with depression and you, because of maybe the religion, um, I, you know, you, I attempted suicide and that, um, anyway, yeah, that's. But that's not an uncommon story. It is not. Men or women yeah. who are gay grow up in a church environment where they're not allowed to be that way. They mm -hmm. marry the opposite sex because that's what they're supposed to do. Yeah. And then at some point as an adult, 
either come to terms with it or accept it or embrace it, whatever, however, whatever language you want to use with that. And then it, it causes a lot of psychological yeah. trauma that yeah. both people are going to have to wade through. Yes. Yes. Um, so yeah, it, I, uh, I appreciate you kind of walking through that. Tell me how that impacted like you, as you kind of pursued a career and, and we're, we're trying to figure your own personality out, your own, uh, individuality out while, you know, navigating this world where you're just in transit all the time anyway. Mm-hmm. I think that that, I mean, I, I didn't have to commit to a place. So, you know, um, if, if some, at that time being a relief pharmacist was really easy to be, and I had work constantly. And so if someone had an issue with that, or if that leaked, you know, mm-hmm. um, so th- yes, I think I chose that profession. So I didn't have to commit, yeah. you know, to that long-term thing in case someone found out, um, today in this world, it's, it's much better. I mean, there's a, you know, moving back here, there was a little bit of fear, you know, maybe that was scar tissue, I'm not sure, but um, a little bit of fear. You know, I had had a, when we, the first weekend we were back and I was in a pharmacy, um, had an experience where I, something came out that not fully on, like I was gay, but that I was a little bit different than here. And literally the person took the prescription out of my hand and walked out of the store. Wow. It was interesting. So there was a little bit of fear, but no, yes, yes, you, you're spot on. I, uh, I think that this career has, has, uh, helped me stay, uh, yeah, at the beginning. And I'm, I'm fascinated with the stories of people because I've, I've run into this a number of times with people who left Amarillo because they knew they were different or they were gay or, you know, whatever they, they had, you know, that, that set them apart from, Mm -hmm. from the rest of the culture. Um, but then moved back here and really sort of found themselves and, and found their place and felt like they belonged, which is not typically a story that people tell about mm-hmm. a place like this that, that tends to be pretty conservative, that tends to be fairly like-minded. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder if that was your case, that, that you get, got back here, uh, you and your husband, you kind of found a place and, and were able to be a more fully realized version of yourself than you were before you left. Not this time. So I had a great opportunity to live abroad. And when I did that, it I, I, sh- I shed um, old, I was able to shed some sociology, some okay. historical sociology. And, and so outside of this country in Europe, I was able to become who I was. Okay. And when I came home, I had that confidence um, to to be able to be who I was. And so that was really early 2000. And so at that point I was back in Amarillo for a little bit, not, you know, maybe a couple of years. And that's the time I was able to be like, yeah, I was back here and I was who I was and I, it, it was okay. Um, it wasn't necessarily okay with Amarillo, mm-hmm. but it's okay with me. With you. Yeah. So this time, um, 2011, 12, I had already done that. And this time, coming back to Amarillo allowed me to grow into seeing Amarillo in a positive light instead of extreme negativity. Um, not just with me, not, mm-hmm. not around me, but around the world. Like Amarillo is a, an amazing spot on the globe. Where do you think that negativity had come from? Had it been because of your experience of Amarillo as a, as a child or because of the, just the entire negativity that, that you grew up trying to fight against or I think was there so. something else? No, I think that and the wind. Okay. 
So there's this deep psychological trauma and wind, both yeah. of which are just as powerful. Right? <laughs> yes. um, so tell me, tell me about that before we talk about what you're doing now, which I, I want to get to. But tell me about that that positive view of the city that that you kind of fell into or embraced. Honestly, my so my spouse's name is Raphael, mm-hmm. and he is really, really a positive person. And seeing Amarillo through his eyes helped me. I'm not going to say that's the whole thing because I, I want to be responsible for some of my own growth there. But encountering different people, uh, and there's just so much Amarillo has to offer. You know, it's, it's not just one thing. So simple, simply that. So okay. just coming back here in 2011, you know, helping my mom and her illness um, we were consumed with that, but we still got to socialize. I got to socialize. I got to be out in the work world. I, uh, um, I used to do a TV segment you do mm-hmm. on Studio Four. And just meeting those people and not being hung up on, on being gay, honestly, and just meeting people for meeting people and not having to have a, a, a pre-nuptial agreement with my friendship to say, are you okay with this? Just yeah. kind of not caring. And so in that process, you know, seeing, meeting other artists, other, you know, pharmacists, other, you know, I'm a nutritionist. So meeting other people in the nutrition world just grew, planted a seed in me mm-hmm. to see a, a new Amarillo. And that, that's interesting to hear you say that because I've, I've heard a version of that and, and it's always a little bit different, but it, it always ties into not that Amarillo necessarily changed, but that the the way the person perceived it changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and maybe it's an openness to looking past the wind or looking past mm-hmm. whatever negative things and to see that there's a much more diverse community here. There's much uh, more happening than maybe we tend to give it credit for mm-hmm. because a lot, a lot of times people just kind of approach it with a bad attitude. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you can look beyond that attitude, you're often surprised. And mm-hmm. that surprise is... Is good, mm-hmm. but it's it's not because of Amarillo is any different. It's because of me or <laughs> yes. because of you. Yeah. So let's let's talk about your career um, because I I, I want to find out like beyond knowing you as pharmacist Doug, you know, who used to be on on the news every once in a while. Like, tell me where that itinerant pharmacist career has taken you now that you've planted here in in one place. I've been able to create a niche for myself because, like I, I mentioned, I'm a nutritionist as well, and so I don't. Um, focus or I'm not a traditional medication pharmacist. You're I'm not, not a, counting pills I am. all the time. Well, not all the time. Okay. But where I am, um, there's a vitamin store. And so people already know ahead of time, they can ask me questions about supplements. And, um, and I, because of this nutrition, I, on my own, do some studies about the interactions. And so I can speak about medication and those supplements um, and your nutrition, and you know, and the and the truth about some of those things, because mm-hmm. it's really hard to plow through that, you know, yeah. as a layperson. And so, I just really like where I am. Like, I don't fit probably at, at CVS or a Walgreens very well because we, those people are not allowed to walk from behind the counter and and say, "Hey, like, literally, like, it's really hard to find an old fashioned enema bag." And we have them at Drug Emporium, and people want them. <laughs> An old-fashioned enema bag. Like, yeah. That's, that's the thing. A water bottle. That's, that's the word I was okay. like, that's a better word, a water <laughs> bottle. But, and so we, you can't find that at yeah. Walmart or Sam's or CVS. We have them. And I know exactly where it is. You mentioned it earlier. The world of pharmacy has changed a lot. Mm-hmm. 
since I was involved in it, only tangentially, but uh, even since then, where you've you used to have, you know, every town had a small town drugstore. Mm-hmm. Amarillo had a whole bunch of independent pharmacies. Mm-hmm. Gradually, they've been purchased by larger, you know, conglomerations. I, I wonder if you can talk about just how that career has changed mm-hmm. over the years mm-hmm. and since since you've been involved in it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, when I lived in, I lived in Pennsylvania as well, and there was an NPR, you know, this is back in probably 2009 or 10, and there was a piece on NPR and they talked about pharmacy is becoming a a vending machine. Hmm. And that's true. It is so, so true. So that kind of sums it up because my, those conglomerates probably don't value how I how how well I communicate about a person's insurance or their medication, um, and take the time to do that. Mm-hmm. They're really really concerned about the number of prescriptions, and so I have to do both. And so that's been, you know, I, I tout myself as an integrative pharmacist, integrative medicine pharmacist, okay. because I don't, you know, in this world, especially through COVID, people have been divided with you know, I don't want to say science, but, you know, traditional medicine and natural medicine and, you know, a lot of fear. And so there's good in both. Like traditional medicine has got great, there's good stuff going on. And so that traditional pharmacist piece, I don't want to throw that out, but it has changed because there's so many ways you can be a pharmacist. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, and, and, and so you just can't spend time in a relationship or in a customer service type thing with your, we can't even call our customers patients, you know, like maybe in the day we were able to do that, but I can't even call them patients. Just as a regulation, like you're not, that's, that's not language you're supposed to use. I mean, it's not regulated, but yeah, I, you know, I can't, yeah, I can't call them patients. Okay. I, I, I'm interested in pharmacy um, because like you said, it, it is such a, maybe a, a bridge sort of career. Like you you talked about how some of the places like Walgreens or CVS are such volume-oriented places and you you don't deal as much with the people and yet you are able to, you know, do the drug dispensing plus deal with people. Mm-hmm. There's also this, this uh, bridge between traditional medical prescriptions and natural mm-hmm. products that a pharmacist is uniquely positioned mm-hmm. to do. You know, a doctor's not always going to tell you, well, mm-hmm. you might try this other thing because that's not what they do. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, you know, pharmacists used to like be mixing their own stuff and yeah. compounding and like they were involved with all these natural products. And I wonder how you find that balance between, you know, this, this medical prescribed medication side and suggesting a supplement or suggesting, mm-hmm. you know, maybe even something different that, um, you know, that might help people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, that's what I enjoy about my job, where I am, um, because I'm able to do that. I, you know, I love compounding. We don't do that there. That's a specialty now. Um, it's a struggle in this in this day and age because insurances won't pay for that yeah. stuff. But as a bridge, I think that's a great way to put it. As it's a as a bridge, and I, I used to really dislike pharmacy. Um, before I became a nutritionist because I didn't find value always in just being a machine that just gave your medicine to you and said, don't take this with alcohol, take this with the food. And so I was educated um, to do more, but the job traditionally required less. Right. And so as a bridge, 
that has kept me sane. It's kept me in the in the business. It's going to sustain me because you're right. It's in, you know, and that's great for me, but also in the medical industry, it's kind of good for the medical industry because non-prescription supplements are just supplements. It's a money-making business. Mm-hmm. And so stores want you to do that. And so since I'm an expert, I mean, I'm not just patting myself on my, on the back. It's just a lot of people don't know about those supplements. Um, I can talk about, you know, if, if you want to take a garlic supplement, kyolic is what all this research has been done around. You know, it's a cold fermented process. And so if you eat whole garlic, I mean, okay, it tastes good, but that's, that's not this, what the studies were done with. And if you take a blood thinner, that's really makes your blood very, very fragile, like Coumadin, Warfarin, you really shouldn't take, you know, garlic mm-hmm. at all. And so those kind of things are what kind of keep me interested, keep me in, in the business. And, and another bridge possibility is like right before I became a pharmacist, pharmacy was dominated by males. Mm-hmm. And then as I was becoming a pharmacist, it was transitioning into a female dominated profession. And now it's completely female dominated. And so there's a lot of pharmacists who don't do full time. It's a lot of moms hmm. who have children. They want to stay home part time. It's interesting. Why that, why that transition from male dominated to female dominated? Is there a, a reason for that? I think because of the ease of making it that kind of career, you okay. can jump in and jump out or you can do part time. Okay. You know, I, when I jumped in and jumped out, I was twice, I was gone for about a year and I came back okay. to the country and jumped right in. It's just that flexibility, I guess. It is. So much movement back and forth from, mm-hmm. you know, with transitional people and, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. I, I wonder why Drug Emporium is a good fit for you. Um, like what about that particular pharmacy in a world of Walgreens on the corner or independent pharmacies? Um, like why, why did you sort of find your place there? I mean, maybe it's because of the supplements. Like it's, it's got an enormous inventory of supplements and they're different qualities Mm -hmm. and, and the people that work over there aren't super, super expert in the vitamin section. And so I can be that. I don't, I'm not over there, yeah. but they come to me. Because like a doctor says, you need vitamin C. You can go there and find a hundred different types <laughs> yes, of vitamin C. Yes. It's overwhelming. And unless, so it, unless it was 2020 and COVID hit, you can't find And then you any, couldn't find you vitamin C because everybody thought it would help. Yeah. And um, we, you know, we don't have a drive up, a drug, drug emporium, and we don't, we're not as busy, you know? So like United on Bell, I've worked there before, and they do... I mean, I don't even know, like a few years ago, it was 700 prescriptions a day. Yeah. And so that's crazy. It's an incredible volume. It is. It is. Is, do you, like, I remember, you know, 20 years ago, people would have a relationship with their pharmacist, just like they had a relationship with maybe a doctor. And and it was even more Mm -hmm. of a close relationship because a lot of times they're just asking their pharmacist, well, this is a weird thing that happened with my medication. Like that trust factor was huge Mm -hmm. person to person. Is it still the same way? I believe that it is. I do because people will come in oftentimes and they don't want to go to the doctor or they don't have insurance. Mm -hmm. A lot more people don't have insurance today than, than back then. Well, I guess back then maybe there weren't, there wasn't insurance, but, but yes, I believe it is. I get those questions all the time. And sometimes I'm really uncomfortable and you have to gauge and say, I'm not a doctor. I can't tell you that. I, I'm also curious about, um, the marketing side of Mm -hmm. your, uh, your career. 
because it's not every pharmacist who ends up, you know, having a regular segment, you know, on, on studio four or something like that. I wonder how that came about and, and why, like why position yourself, not just as the pharmacist at drug emporium, but as pharmacist Doug, you know, (laughs) the guy who can come and talk to you about supplements. Yeah. So two things, I'm, I'm really, really passionate about nutrition and people really, really getting healthy instead of just band-aiding maybe with medication. Also, and this is probably not going to be surprising, this is very stereotypical, there was a time when I wanted to be an actor. Okay. <laughs> and I wanted to be on the stage, and actually I realized it's not the stage I love, it's being in front of the camera. Mm-hmm. And so it's just Amarillo is, is a city, but it's a small town, and things are super accessible. And it was just easy to call Studio 4 and say, hey, this is an idea I have. You know, I'm not super pretty, but I am a little bit normal, but you know, Hey, this is some information you might be interested in. And they're like, yeah, that sounds fun. Especially if you could perform, if you're good, you know, when the camera light comes on, you know, that's not a skill everybody has. And then maybe it's just not being shy. I think I don't have a, I don't have a special skill. And I also told them, I will write this, this script for you. Mm -hmm. This is easy. I'll write it for you and send it to you. And I learned how to write for three minutes, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't know how to do that, but it's, it was fun. You, you mentioned Amarillo and having that, not, not a small town, but an accessible town, you mm-hmm. know, for people. I, I wonder what else, you know, you've kind of discovered about the city, you know, having lived here now for a, a full 10 year period yeah. um, and, and embracing it more. Like, like, what are some of the things that keep you here? Uh, and, and the reason that you've decided to stay? So, if I wanted to, I could go and do anything. I, I mean, there's so much to do. You could be a pharmacist anywhere in the world right now, I, I imagine. Yeah, but what I mean, in Amarillo, people okay. complain about, oh, there's nothing to do here. Like, I don't know what it'd be like to be single here. I mean, maybe I do, but not past 10 years. Maybe that's a little bit more difficult. But there, I mean, I know people who are doing burlesque shows, full, high-quality burlesque, not Cassidy's strippers. You know, so there's all kinds of things you can encounter here. You know, there's amazing food. One, you know, I'll, there's one kind of food we don't have, I, I wish, but there's such amazing food. Um, g- great drinks, art shows, artists. There's just so much. This is also Pride Month. We're recording this in June. Um, this is releasing in June. I, I wonder if you could talk to me about why this month is important to you personally? (laughs) I am a little bit of a bad gay. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Do you have a business card or something (laughs) that you hand to people? Yeah. And so I never had like this huge coming out. And and so my, uh, I don't know if if Pride Month in June and in Europe is in June, maybe it's global. And so my emotional pride time was in Europe Mm -hmm. and I can't remember. And so I had, you know, my first pride parade, I was on a, a gay swim team, you know, and so all to say that I, um, have never been super emotionally attached to pride month in June. I am glad it is a movement. I'm glad it's a thing. There's still a lot of people who don't really know it, but you know, I don't, I had, I had more emotion around 
a potential presidential candidate, uh, Pete Buttigieg, that was gay, then then maybe Pride Month. And I, okay. I, so this is why then you know my friends want to boot me out, and my membership is my membership card is always on probation because I don't dress well either. So. <laughs> So that's just another stereotype that assuming that you want to be on camera and you have to dress really nice, yeah. I guess. Um, tell me, a, let's talk about Pete Buttigieg, because that's interesting to me. Tell me why like that sort of representation is is important to you. Yeah, just because, you know, I think he received some criticism from the community for maybe not being more gay, mm-hmm. uh, stereotypically, but um, just because being gay was not his big deal. It's like not the first thing that you it's think not, of when you think about it. Yeah, I mean, he, now he's the transportation secretary, which is like the most boring, you yeah. know, cabinet role. Yeah. I, um, you know, I, I am a little bit of a conservative person, you know, in, in certain areas. So I, uh, I, I am married myself cause that's what I wanted. And I, I'm flexible and open-minded enough that I have friends that aren't, you know, maybe they're even, polyamorous, but I like, you know, that he's married and that that representation, you know, a pillar of the community. And and we have that here historically in Amarillo. Mm -hmm. We have some really well-known gay couples. Who've been together for decades in some cases. You know, and so that, um, you know, because in Hollywood or, you know, gay people are most often represented, you know, drug addicts or prostitutes or going to jail, you know, and so it just was a very positive, wholesome representation um, that just didn't make it, you know, like I, there were stories in Iowa, a woman donated or contributed to his campaign and then she, you know, like a few minutes later she found out that he was gay and she wanted to take her money back, you know, because she, and so anyway, so I hope that answers your question. Yeah, I think so. Um, and the, the, the last thing I wanted to ask you, Doug, is I know that you consider yourself a, an Amarillo native. You've lived in Amarillo now for several years, but you also spent time in Canyon. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've you've kind of traveled around multiple subcultures within this area. And I know that, um, you know, off mic, you talked about how there was a, a distinct difference that you felt between Amarillo and Canyon, just mm-hmm. kind of how you perceived it growing up and maybe how you perceive it now. I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit, because I've interviewed guests from who live in Canyon, guests who live in Amarillo. Um, they're often just considered the same place. Mm. And I don't know that that's necessarily true. So you've got an opinion on, on it. I'd, I'd kind of like to hear what you think about that. Sure. And so the opinion comes from the perspective that I, I grew up in a neighborhood outside of Amarillo City Limits between Amarillo and Canyon. Okay. So I went to high school in Canyon, but being out in that no man's land, um, I was not a part of Canyon culture, subculture, or nor Amarillo subculture. I went to church in Amarillo. And so I would, you know, date girls in Amarillo at different schools like Amarillo High and Tascosa. And it was just really evident to me that there was distinct cultures, you know, in different neighborhoods, you know, um, I'm a very curious person, so like when I would meet someone new or talk to somebody new, you would they would ask me where I went to high school, you where you went to high school, and you you were categorizing. Yeah, them. you make assumptions about a person. Based you do, on- and so um, I I do still think that that little subculture exists, and it's very clicky. I think I you know if that's it's kind of negative. That might be one negative thing about Amarillo. That's very 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 
click-ish, and that click-ish has grown with the different neighborhoods growing, you know, like the the Greenways is sort of a new neighborhood for me mm-hmm. since I, being growing up here. The the Woodlands, I guess, is right. something new. Um, and so that is something I, I, I should have studied sociology. And so as I observe, you know, become a little voyeur, I, it's, it's fascinating to me to see those different subcultures yeah. in the towns. And how does that impact you, you know, as an adult, maybe if you grow up in one part of town versus growing up in another part of town? Cause we talk about Amarillo as if it's a monolith, mm-hmm. but it's not. I mean, there are different neighborhoods, different sectors of the city. The Woodlands is not the same as, mm-hmm. you know, the North Heights for sure, or mm-hmm. the Barrio is not the same mm-hmm. as the Greenways. It's just very different. And you can apply that to everything from opportunity to careers to, you know, family units, all that stuff. Um, but I, I wonder if you think there's a strength in that, having a mm. unique perspective on life if you come from Canyon or you live in Canyon or having a, a unique quality that's an Amarillo quality distinct from a Canyon. I mean, is, is there something about that um, that distinction that, that maybe is a good thing as opposed to mm-hmm. a divisive thing? Mm, that's a good question. Yes, I think that there is because I think that it probably, um, as people grow into be adults and they interact in different zones, <laughs> if yeah. you will, you know, whether they go to a different church or they are socializing, you know, at a restaurant or their kids, you know, and so I think I, I think I have seen people and it's interesting because I I'm 57, but most of my friends are younger. And so I think I have seen that play out in people's willingness to to be open to that you know so like i don't know if you've had del maldonado on your show no i've not she is a spectacular photographer and she grew up not deep east side but you know like glenwood and she is she can move in any circle Mm -hmm. you know and i so i do yes i think that that helps people be more diverse and versatile in their social interactions. Especially those who realize maybe they grew up in a clicky environment and intentionally tried to escape it. Mm -hmm. I I think that's where you, Mm -hmm. a lot of the times, become open to all kinds of people. Mm -hmm. And Amarillo has all kinds of people. Yeah, it does. It does. Certainly. This episode of Hey Amarillo is brought to you by Wick Realty. And what a time to be in real estate. The market is crazy right now but you can't go wrong with Katie Wick and her team of agents. Wick has helped me buy and sell a home twice now, and they really are one of the best in town. What I really love is that Wick is invested in seeing Amarillo flourish economically and socially for all groups of people. So if you're buying or selling, talk to Katie Wick or one of her outstanding agents. That's wickrealty.com, W-I-E-C-K. And this episode is also sponsored by Dr. Eddie Sauer, who practices general dentistry at Shimon Dental Group. Eddie has been my dentist for at least 25 years, and he's my kid's dentist too. He's a national speaker on Invisalign, using that technology to improve his patient's smiles and positioning. I think Amarillo is uh, honestly is lucky to have Dr. Sauer's knowledge and expertise around here. So follow Shimon Dental on Facebook to learn more, or visit shimondental.com. That's S-H-E-M-E-N.
Okay, I'm back with Doug Lill, Pharmacist Doug. This is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum and Canyon. On the WT campus, it's the largest history museum in Texas, and its collection includes at least eight examples of Burma Shave signage, which is something I picked for you because it's a little bit connected to pharmacy, as opposed to like rifles from the Red River War, you know? Okay. Um, I don't know. I just have always associated that with with pharmacy. Uh, you can learn more at panhandleplains.org. Okay, Doug, this is uh, eight straight. I'm going to ask you eight straight questions. Your job as my guest is to answer those in as much detail as you want. What's one thing the past pandemic year revealed to you about local people? And as a pharmacist, you were on the front lines, mm-hmm. whether it's selling supplements or dealing with people's fears or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, I I thought about this, and I have to say that I was uh, shocked at the diversity, the versatility of people's reactions. Because no matter where you are, people will give you their opinions. Mm -hmm. But I guess being a pharmacist is a little bit like being a bartender. And people gave us their opinions super strong. And I was surprised at the diversity Hmm. of those opinions. And like, I was going to talk about like, but it's just the reaction, what the masses do, you know, in a, in a crisis, but that's not so, so surprising. But yes, I was surprised at the diversity of, of, uh, opinions. And I would think that maybe in previous times we would have thought, well, people going into a pharmacy are going to side on medical science or something like that. But like you're in a position where you're, you're also working with supplements and natural products. And like that just opens it up to people. I know people who, you know, don't believe like in medication at all, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. and and they may tend to be on a different side of mm-hmm. of stuff related to the virus. So. Yeah, you, I, it was. I learned to not judge. I, there mm-hmm. was no way of telling what someone's opinion about a mask was going to be, or or whether you know this was a real deal. It was just you couldn't guess. But as a medical professional, I'm sure you had a lot of conversations where people were trying to figure out what you thought and yeah. what they needed to, to do. Yes. Yes. What does this area have too much of? Churches. Okay. Unpack that a little bit. As I thought about this, because I actually uh, wanted this to be as authentic as possible, um, you know, like I've said, I am, I choose to be a Christian, and that's, uh, a few years ago you had... Lytton, St. Stephen on here, and they nailed it on the head uh, using the word, the homogeneity okay. of the culture. And that's, and I answered this question before I listened to that interview, and that's what it's about. There's just too many churches. And when, when I hear people say there are too many churches, that's not always a too much Christianity or no. too much religion answer. No. Like, the fact that there are a hundred churches, you know, with 50 to 75 members in it, and then a handful of churches with 3,000 members, mm-hmm. you know, it, it feels like you could, you could consolidate, you know, some of that and, and not have so much, because a lot, there's a lot of division in all those different churches. Yeah, and there, there is a way to, um, besides church, there's a way to be a do-gooder, hmm. you know, to be kind, to be moral. And so that is something... I don't think we have to rely on church to do that. You know, I have friends who are atheists, and they're the most moral, good humans I know. And so that's part of that as well. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. That's an interesting answer. What does this area not have enough of? Gay bars. Okay. And, and here again, it's about the diversity. Because I think not just I want a place to go and dance because, you know, I'm gay. I, as I've experienced gay bars across the world, it's, it's a place people can go and sort of let their hair down or sort of explore some other, other perspectives. And, um, and I just don't know why this, a town of this size has one single gay bar. And it didn't always. Like mm-hmm. 20 years ago, there were more what? than four, four-ish. So why, like, I would say that Amarillo is probably, maybe I'm wrong, but probably more accepting mm-hmm. um, of LGBTQ issues and people than it used to be, mm-hmm. but we have fewer gay bars than we used to have. So, like, that doesn't seem to make sense to me. Well, it, and some some might argue that it's because of the more acceptance, and so you don't need a special place. You don't place need to, a place to escape. You don't need a place to escape. You don't need, you know, so there's this term, a gayborhood. You know, so I lived in Madrid, and there's a name of a neighborhood called Chueca, and so that's a funny Spanish word meaning bent. And that's the gay neighborhood in Madrid. And, you know, I, I don't, it was fun to visit there. You know, there was some great shopping. There was great restaurants, you know. And so for the diversity, that's that's what I think it would be for. And, and for people to, uh, I don't know, people in other parts of the world go to gay bars and they kind of let their hair down. Yeah. Whether they're gay or not, I guess. Whether, yeah, and I've had so many amazing, you know, my sister, when I lived in Austin, would go to the gay bar with me, and she would have deep, profound spiritual conversations with everybody, because that's her way, but yeah. Yeah, okay, I can, I can see that. How do you describe Amarillo to people outside this area? I start off by saying, it's not what you're thinking right now in your head. It's not as stereotypical as you think, you know, it's that on multiple levels is true because it's not stereotypically Texas. So mm-hmm. I went to university in the Southern part of Texas, very Southern part. And my friends at that university at those, cause I went to a couple of them called me a Yankee because I was from a place. They thought so, they were Texas yeah, and you're like yeah. barely so. And, and so anyway, I tell people, you know, it's very, Interesting because Amarillo is so different from Lubbock in many different ways. But one of the ways is, you know, I-40 is a treasure and a curse. Mm -hmm. And that makes Amarillo very fascinating. Also, um, we have a lot of local businesses here, a lot of not just local restaurants and, and, and art. And so they're... It's just not what you think. Give it a chance. And so I challenge people to visit with the idea of like, it's going to be potentially a cross-cultural experience for you, even though we all live in the same country, but it will be a happy experience. Like the, every time you talk to somebody from, that is not from Amarillo, the number one thing people say that's the great about Amarillo is the people. Mm-hmm. It's over and over again. And that is so true. It is so, so true. But it's not all the same kinds of people. And no. that's what's most interesting about mm-hmm. it. We've got a lot of different people. We here. do. We do. What's your favorite local restaurant? El Tejaban. Okay. The original or the one near Tesco? Aha. Uh-huh. See? Just, just. So I like the one on Paramount. Okay. S- just because that reason, 
because it is very much like the original, not in its table settings, not in its building, in its food quality. Okay. So that's a very common thing in Amarillo. The east side, you know, will have a restaurant and it'll open one on southwest Amarillo and it's different. Mm-hmm. And El Tejaban is not the case. Okay. I mean, officially on Paramount, it's not Southwest Amarillo, but it is not the case. And I learned something. Do you know that Braceros, there's three, they're not the same people, no, family, whatever, it, owners. I, I think it has a common trunk to that family tree and then has sort of diverged over the years and, yeah. and they each have their own, their yeah. own little corner. I'm so, imp- and I'm not the connoisseur expert, but I'm so impressed with El Braceros. So, especially on Bell, mm-hmm. the margaritas on 6th. So, El Tejaban is my favorite. Okay. What's your favorite local coffee shop? This is tough because I have friends that are associated with certain ones. And, and so, I, I am not going to feel obligated to say theirs. But also, I don't know if I can say this, I am a coffee, I drink coffee indiscriminately. Okay. I'm not a snob. Right. I am a little bit. I, I'm Tootin' Totem and Pakistan coffee are not good. Um, but I drink coffee indiscriminately, so I'm not, you know, I, I have moods and I'm just a, a loose, I'm loose when it comes to coffee. Okay. So I'm going to say my newest love is Strata. Okay. Near the medical center. Yeah. And it's inconvenient for me to drive all the way out there, but when I'm there, it's a very, very, very Good cup of coffee. Okay. It's a very, and I loved Urbana and it's gone. Um, so. Is there, is there something about that? Like what, what sets it out or sets it apart as, as good for you? If you have such a, a loose appreciation for coffee. Sure. Yeah. That's a good question. I don't often veer from getting a black Americano. That's what I get. And it's consistent. Okay. And I, I'm really for change and growth and all that, but I don't like the green bean roasting. Mm-hmm. And that's a really popular thing in town. And it is all over the nation. And so like at Strata, I think they have a choice like that, but they also give me a choice of a darker roast. All right. Okay. That's, that's good to know because there are people who do like the darker roast. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm one of them, much to the chagrin of some of my friends who are do you ex- deep in the yeah. in the in the coffee community? Do you expand your dark roast away from roasters? Oh yes, yeah. Okay. And I will drink all kinds of coffee too and appreciate it. Okay, but like you could hand me a cup of Folgers, and I'd be happy because that's what I grew up drinking. You know, when I began to drink coffee was, you know, Mister Coffee Folgers grounds. <laughs> And, and, and so I've had to expand beyond that, but like, that's still comfortable to me. Okay, that's my good. comfort food is, okay. is that kind of coffee. Okay. So I can appreciate it all. Okay, good. Um, sorry, everyone who is offended by that. <laughs> What's your favorite neighborhood in Amarillo? Okay, so this, I was going to refuse to answer, but I'm not going to. Okay. Because of our conversation about the different cultures in Amarillo mm-hmm. and Canyon and the different cliques. Because that also has something to do, you know, like with your putting you in a social box wherever you're living and Mm -hmm. all that. So, but I decided I am going to say my favorite neighborhood, and I might get it wrong because it seems like it overflows and has two names. I like Plemons very much. And I think it's officially Plemons Equal, Mm -hmm. but the Plemons Equal 
section north of I-40. It's just really full of character and I am a person about functionality. And so it's close to downtown. I was super bummed many, many years ago when the Albertsons left that place. Over on Washington. Yeah. Because it needs a grocery store. I am always interested when I've looked at, you know, the stories of early Amarillo and the development of that neighborhood, which feels so historic to us. Mm -hmm. And it was once like, new development on the outskirts of the town, (laughs) you know, and it's just like a quarter mile from downtown or something. But I mean, to think of that, like that once was the boundary of Amarillo and and people did not live further than that. And those people were in the suburbs, you know? Yeah. And and now it just feels like so, so quaint and the old Amarillo part. Yeah. And it's funny, you can, whatever you want to know about that neighborhood, you follow Wes Reeves. Yeah. He's an expert and I love that. And it is Poetry and, yeah, so his pictures in the morning, so it's... Former podcast guest. Yes. When was the last time you visited the Big Texan? I think it was about two years ago, and I I can't remember if it was a tourist movement or a birthday. Um, I think it was a birthday where I actually went there and ate. Free prime rib on your birthday? It wasn't mine. Okay. Someone's birthday. Yeah, and I mean, and I just have an, an opinionated, and so I'm sorry, Danny, sorry, you guys... It's not the best prime rib in town, but it's the best calf fries. And I know that's weird. I totally agree. It is. It's, you can, it's just really wonderful. I had, I think it was a conversation with Bobby Lee for this podcast. And I asked him what was his order at the Big Texan. And he was like, calf fries. Our calf fries are the best in the world. Yeah. And then he ordered some and like ate them while we were recording <laughs> that episode, I believe. Like if, if the proprietor of the restaurant wants that food yeah. just randomly, you know it's it's pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Okay, uh, Doug, that concludes the uh, the eight straight section of the podcast. I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So what's one thing you would want listeners to know about or to experience? I, I mean, it's really general, um, but I want to, I want people to really, really intentionally patronize local businesses. Okay. And not just restaurants. You know, a friend of mine just opened up a, tire specialty accessorizing car shop called Texas Trend. Mm-hmm. So the Grays opened that up, you know, um, and there's great restaurants. But, I mean, but the, the beauty of I-40 is super interesting sociologically, but I, I want people to get off of I-40, right. you know, and, uh, and I'm not against big box places, but you can really intentionally find a, a, a local place, you know, um, even as far as like recording studios, you know, so there, we have like two or three recording studios. Yeah, yeah. Major seven is my friend, Matt Limberg. He is the boss there, you know, and it's an amazing place. Um, Casey and Josh Tam each have businesses, you know, if you need construction or decoration, it's just, it's just endless. What you can do, you walk into local business and do that. There is almost exclusively always a local option mm-hmm. for whatever you think you need to order from yeah. Amazon or Best Buy or Target or, or mm-hmm. whatever. So that is one thing that is unique about Amarillo. And we think about local businesses. We do often think of restaurants, mm-hmm. but it's not just restaurants. Mm-mm. There's so many other things. Yeah, it is. Okay, Doug Lil, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you. It's great. And that concludes the episode. Thanks to Doug for being my guest uh, for this show. Thanks to Angelina Marie for editing the show every week. 
I also want to say thanks to Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for sponsoring Eight Straight on a weekly basis, and to this week's show sponsors, the Texas Outdoor Musical, Shim and Dental, and Wick Realty. This podcast exists every week because of listeners like you and the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash heyamarillo. Hey Amarillo's executive producers include Jess Heredia, Katie Linger, Jason Burr, Barbara and Jim Witten, Priscilla, Corey Burns, Josh Wood, Patrick Burns, Wilson Lemieux, and Wes Reeves. This has been episode 201. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>